0: Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support.
1: There's no such thing as a point of no return when you're that young, you know? Mm, There's always a way Immortal, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I got to the point where I just, even when I wanted to get out, I I wasn't willing to get out until I had a certain amount of money. You know, then I'll be done. And Mm -hmm. uh, there's always a then, Mm -hmm. I'll be done, and then you're just not done until... You die. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or end up in prison, you know.
2: Armin Asadi is Pastor Paul's guest today, talking about membership in a gang, but also his journey from refugee to Christ. Welcome to Life Support. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was. He was a golden man. All we can do right now is come together. Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes.
0: Hey, I'm so glad you're with us on Life Support, and this is so much fun because we have an opportunity to talk with many, many people with different stories, and the goal here is to take stories that some of them are hard, some of them are just really intriguing, but the goal is to talk about how God enters in and can redeem and um, is existent in trauma, suffering, through hardship, uh, through our own mistakes, and those kinds of things. And uh, we've got a really interesting guest with us today. I'm really happy uh, to have him, president of Engage Your Destiny. And um, his name is Armin. Asadi. And Armin, it's really good to meet you. Thanks for being here. Likewise.
1: Thanks for having me. And
0: we were just kind of catching up. Um, for those of you in the Twin City area, we kind of have common ground in White Bear Lake. And um, nothing, you know how they said in the Bible, like nothing good comes from Nazareth? I think that's what they say <laughs> about White Bear Lake, too. But we're living proof that something does, right. good does come we from White Bear Lake. <laughs> so you've got, um, Armin, an amazing story. And I don't know exactly where to start um, so why don't you just kind of um, begin you know, with that growing up experience and kind of um, what your life was like and kind of what led you into more of what we're going to talk about today and the redemption that God has given you.
1: Sure. I mean, I'll just give you the bullet points and you can pick and choose sure. wherever you want to pick apart. Um, I was born in the Islamic Republic of Iran, 81, two years after the uh, Islamic Revolution that took place in 79, come from, uh, you know pretty affluential family, military ties to the royal family and all that, Um, and we were not Muslim. So um, at first it was okay, but then once they could focus on the citizens, it got pretty hairy for us, and we spent several years living on the run trying to avoid being found, um, imprisoned, and executed. Um, and then eventually, just got to the point where, um, you know, they had imprisoned or executed seven of the nine committee members of my dad's committee. Um, and they were trying to send my brother to the front line of the Iran Iraq war. You know, I think he was like 14 years old or something like that hmm. at the time. So we eventually fled Iran. Um, we escaped by uh, crossing a desert, climbing a mountain with no my- mount, uh, mountain climbing gear. Uh, and then we went and lived in the slums of Pakistan for seventeen months. Uh, eventually came to America. I was eight years old. Learned my fifth language. Grew up. Uh, eventually, parents started getting divorced. Lost my mind. Um, started hanging out with old friends, not the ones from White Bear Lake, and uh, just kind of went downhill from there. Became a criminal, and then eventually got saved when I was twenty-six. Then got instead of going to prison, I started interning at a church and now I'm running a ministry
0: well there's a lot there's a lot there. Um, I love the last part, especially you know instead of going to prison, I ran a church you know I, think I don't know how many pastors would fit into that um, construct, but i I just go back to your time um in the Middle East as you're kind of working through all of that. Did that shape um much of who you are now trying to to just navigate that whole experience
1: That's a great question y- Yes, of course um, in many good ways, a lot of bad ways as well. You know, uh, when you start seeing people get killed in front of you from the age of three, you know, uh, you kind of get desensitized to death and the threats of death aren't really (laughs) Mm -hmm. as effective as they probably could be with a normal life. Um, so I think there, there's a lot of my past that led me down a path of either being a I don't know, a zealot, <laughs> mm-hmm. or being a criminal, mm-hmm. and uh, criminal ended up being the path.
0: Well, and not to mention the fact, as a as a young boy, is a very unsettled uh, atmosphere that you had to live in, and and changing countries, and running, and all those things. That can't be a very secure way to grow up either.
1: No, and I still, I mean, you could probably. I have three daughters now, so. If you ever want to see someone who's overprotective, <laughs> yeah, um, mm-hmm. and is always worried about something, mm-hmm. yeah, you're looking at them. You know, mm-hmm. I just, I just think there's something bad around every corner. Even though logically I know there isn't, but there's something subconsciously that still kind of dictates the logic.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people that have gone through some kind of trauma or experienced that have that those irrational fears that they really fight with, and you know, like uh, I, I hate, my, I have 15 year old boys that are learning how to drive, which is frightening in itself. Yeah. But um, it's really hard just to let them go because I think that something is going to happen to them. Um, But thankfully, God is in control at the end of the day. Um, All right. So you said a lot there. You talked about criminal. um, And that's really kind of where the story um, starts to turn into a a kind of a dark tale, really, isn't it? Yeah. So how, how did that all take place?
1: Um, just started with my family. Um, you know, in in the Middle East, when you grow up, you always hear Middle East predominant religion is Islam, which is technically true, but I think the r- religion that truly drives that culture is family. And, um, it's, I mean, it's the foundation you have, right? Is everything you do, everything you believe, everything you work towards is for the family. So when my parents started divorcing and we aren't, losing all the family that we grew up with. They have no ties. Um, You just lose your foundation, you know. And as a 15-year-old who knew everything about life, Um, and I was 16 at the time, and I was like a year into the divorce process, I brilliantly gave myself two choices, kill yourself or find a new family, and hmm. just went back to the characters that related to me the most. You know, they're all foreigners. Uh, they're you know third language is english that kind of stuff and um yeah just went back to that and went downhill from there
0: hmm. so you were searching for something family and um what where did it take you what kind of dark roads did it take you down
2: i
1: um, you know at first it was just make money how you can mm-hmm. you know um my job at taco bell as baller status as that was it just wasn't enough you know and uh you nowadays
0: just, you'd be making big bucks of taco Bell. Yeah, probably, <laughs> probably of course now. <laughs> now yeah <laughs> um
1: yeah i don't know we just got involved in criminal activities we were very tight um uh fairly fearless no problem with knuckling up with anyone <laughs> anywhere mm-hmm. anytime kind of thing and eventually you build a reputation and you get in deeper and deeper and then eventually we got organized when i was 19 and made my first million when i was 21 Hmm. just kept getting worse even though that sounds good but you know the deeper you get tied into it the harder it is to get out of it
0: right so when you say we got organized that was this group of of guys that you landed with and you kind of formed your own organization sort of thing
1: yeah one of them was a chinese guy um i met him at my bus stop when i was eight years old wow Uh, he was straight from china i was straight from iran his dad didn't speak a lick of English. Uh, my dad didn't speak a lick of English. So, you know, it was 10 minutes at a bus stop watching two guys bow their heads to each other. Hello, hello. Thank you. Hello. Thank you. Hello. <laughs> thank you. There's nothing else, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he was just one of my first connections. But, yeah, it was a very diverse group of guys. And
0: So when you were kind of beginning to march down this road, obviously the money's there. But did you know that it was going to take you somewhere that you couldn't come back from? Or didn't you care at that point?
1: Uh, there, there, there's no such thing as a point of no return when you're that young, you know. Mm, like, yeah, there's always a way Immortal, out. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I got to the point where I just, even when I wanted to get out, I, I wasn't willing to get out until I had a certain amount of money. You know, then I'll be done. And mm-hmm. uh, there's always a then mm-hmm. I'll be done, and then you're just not done until you die, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or end up yeah. in prison, you know.
2: More from Pastor Paul and Armin Asadi in just a moment. This is Steve Johnson, Executive Director of Five Stone Media, a co-sponsor of this program. And we're excited to introduce a brand new video curriculum called Caring for Mental Health. This 10-part series is available at no cost and is designed to help you and others come alongside those who are struggling with mental health. If you'd like to learn more, Go to lifesupportresources.org. That's lifesupportresources.org. And now back to Pastor Paul.
1: Even when I wanted to get out, I, I wasn't willing to get out until I had a certain amount of money. You know, then I'll be done. And uh, there's always a then, mm-hmm. I'll be done, and then you're just not done until you die (laughs) yeah (laughs) or end up in prison you know
0: how intoxicating was that to have that much money all of a sudden
1: you know i don't really the the money part wasn't that intoxicating um the power is more intoxicating Mm -hmm. like that's uh especially when you grow up feeling powerless your Mm -hmm. entire life and then all of a sudden you have the power um
0: yeah, and it's really understandable, though. Yeah, I mean, you spent your whole childhood on the run, basically. Yeah, and now you are the one with the with the strings.
1: Yeah, and it, and and you know, I, I didn't really know this until I grew up in ten years of therapy and blah blah blah. But um, justice was my big thing,
2: mm. you know,
1: mm-hmm. and not having to rely on anyone else for justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's that's, man, I'll take that over any drug, any high, any alcohol, any money, like, Mm -hmm. just give me the power. That's, that was the most intoxicating.
0: Hmm. So this group then kind of became your family that you were looking
1: for? Yeah, I thought so. Mm -hmm. Not, not so much. Um, quick story. When I was 26, um, this is the tail end of my criminal career. Uh, I, I didn't know at the time, but, you know i was the most humble human being in the world at the time so i decided to do what any humble human being would do i threw myself a party and uh because i wanted everyone to celebrate how humble i was <laughs> and um you know we spent the quarter, i i spent a quarter million dollars on this party wow. and we end up in this nightclub and long story short i end up i'm sitting in this big giant red velvet ugly disgusting gaudy uh chair and I'm having my, you know, Scarface, Tony Montana moment. How did I get here? Right, yeah,
2: right. And, right. and
1: uh, I remember I have this drink in my hand. I'm looking around the room and I'm just feeling like I'm on top of the world. And then I, I asked myself a simple question. How did you get here? You know, like in an arrogant way, how did mm-hmm. you get here? Mm-hmm. And then I kind of asked the question, like, wait, how did you get here? And it just kind of got the same question, different tone each time. And then I realized, wow, it's been almost 10 years to the day. Since I went on this path, and then I had to kind of reflect back, and I thought, oh, wow. I got into this because I was looking for a new family. I was never looking for money. I was never looking for power. I was never looking for status. I was just a little kid desperate for family. And I started looking around that room that night, you know, and there's hundreds of people in there. I mean guys who have been side by side with me who've bled been shot we've shot at people they shot at us you know we've been to war zones together yeah and uh, you know you it makes you feel like family mm-hmm. and uh, but then I started looking around the room making eye contact and you know by the time I looked at the 20th or 30th person that I made eye contact with it hit me I don't have a family hmm. I lost the one I had and this one isn't it I left that party after being there an hour, even though it was my party. Went straight to my hotel, put a Glock to my head. The most depressing moment of my life hmm. was that party.
0: Because you realized what you were chasing after—it was all a lie. It was, it was slipping through your fingers. Yeah,
1: I, I wasn't chasing any of the stuff that I got. All yeah. I wanted was family. Yeah. How I got there—it's easy to get distracted because you think you need certain things to get there, you know. And yeah. money is the immediate go-to.
0: Yeah. So. It's interesting, you know. Um, a lot of our mutual friend, uh, John John Turnipsey, yeah. uh, who who you know ran gangs here in the Minneapolis area for for years. Um, he'll he'll talk about you know if you say you know John, what's wrong with Minneapolis right now? And he'll say, um, no fathers, mm-hmm. and he'll just say it like like yeah. that. That's it. That's the problem. Yeah. And when you talk to gang members and so forth, it seems like they're chasing after some of that same. Belongingness for sure, and then they they don't get it, and then it just leads them further and further down that road, huh
1: absolutely, I mean, yeah, I mean that's the number one statistical predictor if a child is going to grow up to be a criminal, mm-hmm. do you have a dad or not?
0: Mm-hmm. you know, and did you consider yourself to be a criminal or were you just doing whatever? I mean, did you, how'd you feel about yourself at that point? Like
1: we didn't function like a gang, you know, there's the war stories and all that, but I think we function more as like a business more than anything, you -hmm. know, and there's nothing to, um, scale, balance the scales other than things you have to do. And you end up dealing with a lot of shady people and, um, you just you end up having to do things that you didn't even get into this to do, you know, like right. all that blood and guts and stuff like that. It's not intentional, just.
0: But you can justify it because that's basically just what you where you're headed, and you need to do it to yeah. keep going.
1: Yeah, our our rule was don't initiate, mm-hmm. but please finish.
0: That's a, that's a good mission statement. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did the police know about you, and were you on their radar at this point?
1: um probably probably i don't know how much they knew of us i think um, at that point they probably still thought there was a committee running everything Mm -hmm. not uh some kid Mm -hmm. um but yeah through a, a series of events they had my phone number um from one call somebody made and that was enough to connect the dots and um i was event after i left that life which is an entirely different story then i got indicted mm-hmm. and i was looking at 10 years minimum mandatory
0: let's go back to the hotel room first though oh, okay. uh because you kind of left us with a glock in your hand yeah and um that had to be uh a moment that um really defines a lot of um Maybe could you call it the second part of your life or the beginning of a new journey? Or was that kind of where you realized that this whole thing was a farce? Or how would you describe what was going on in your mind at that moment? Oh,
1: man, I don't, I, it's hard to explain that to people who are not from that life. It's, yeah. uh, just because I didn't pull the trigger didn't mean I, did, I wasn't still suicidal. The, the decision I made is if I kill myself, whoever we're at odds with, they just saw their leader be weak. I might as well put a bullet in everyone else's head. Mm -hmm. Right. So it was just Mm -hmm. a matter of saying, all right, I won't do it, but I'll definitely put myself in predicaments that someone else will do it. And I did that. Mm -hmm. I tried real hard, but I think the fact that I was so reckless, um, the individuals that did hold a gun to my head, I think they were just, they didn't understand what was happening, you know? So, Mm
0: -hmm. um, so the, 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 the desire to, to not live was still there, but oh, so you were just being pragmatic at this point to protect the people you're working with and so yeah. forth.
1: Yeah, and I, and I didn't say it. I, I, yeah. I didn't do that to get a pat on the back or anything yeah. at the time. I was just...
0: The thought process. Yeah. So where did that all lead then? What happened next?
1: Uh, um, you know, at some point, I quit that lifestyle. You um, go up to whoever your uplines are and which, whichever criminal organizations that you work with and how they supply you or whatever. And you just have to let them know like, Hey, I'm done. Um, and you know, you do that to kind of save face, um, with the family and all that. And, um, I did it and I sat around for two weeks, drunk and high waiting for someone to come. You know, I left my windows and doors open, hoping they would come. I told them exactly where I'd be. And,
0: you assumed that they weren't going to let you leave. No. They were going to take care of you first, huh? Yeah, I mean, it, there's yeah, no other sense, option. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. There's no other option, right? right. And I sat right. around and waited and waited and waited and nothing happened. And that became the next most depressing thing because I was <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. Do I re- – I, I have to pull the trigger because no one else is going to do it. And mm-hmm. if I'm not going to do it, what do I do now? Right. You're ready for death. But life is daunting. Yeah, death is so easy. It's yeah. trigger and sleep.
0: And you just thrown away the whole life that you knew.
1: Gave up everything. But but like what 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 am I gonna take with me after I kill yeah. myself or someone else kills me? Yeah, that's right. What am I like? What am I right? And take my Gucci with me? Like yeah. what? Yeah, it yeah. didn't. You know, it just it meant nothing. So it was easy to give away because the desired outcome was help me get out of this hell. Mm-hmm. You know.
0: Why didn't they come?
1: I don't know. Uh, I'll never be able to answer that question.
0: I don't know. So when they didn't come, how long did you wait to act? Two weeks, you said? Two
1: weeks. You waited? Drunk and high. Two weeks, mm-hmm. laying around. And uh, I remember at the end of that, I uh, just, I, I don't know. I don't know how to explain how daunting it is to think about choosing life. Mm-hmm. Choosing death is so easy. And then, you know, you just pray this irreverent prayer, you're dropping F-bombs, mm-hmm. and, you know, whatever, you're going nuts. You don't You don't even know if you're praying, but you're, you know you're at least, if yeah. there is a greater right, yeah. universal sure. power, you're cussing him out at right, least, yeah. you know, and mm-hmm. letting him know how you feel. Mm-hmm. But at the tail end of it, I just, mm-hmm. you know, I think my prayer was, God, if you're real, real whoever you are, I don't care who you are. Just let me know, you know, And I fell asleep in a pile of my own tears and woke up, you know, little gerbil didn't pop out to say Jesus is the way and there wasn't lightning bolts. There wasn't, you know, there was no supernatural thing that took place, but I just remember waking up and just, it was just a different feeling. I don't know, like weight was lifted Mm -hmm. and it it was easier to think about life. I don't know how else to explain
0: Mm -hmm. that. So what you really are is... You're a story of redemption. God didn't let you die. He had something for you.
1: Yeah, and I think that was my biggest grievance with God. It's like, why Mm -hmm. don't you just let me die? You know? It takes you off. It takes you off, you Mm -hmm. know? Because you already feel like a failure, and then you have to fail at dying. It's like...
0: Why did you feel like a failure? Because of um, where you'd gotten yourself to?
1: Um yeah I mean, it's kind of like um, what what would be a good example? It's like you you dedicate your life to becoming an athlete, and then mm-hmm. next thing you know you've never played a sport and you're sitting here being an accountant, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just like how did I get here right. you know yeah it's just mm-hmm. kid looking for family, how did I become a crime boss for a syndicated organized crime
0: with no family around you at all? yeah,
1: you know, I alienated my family and myself, yeah what did I get
0: Now I have I have so much uh we're going to have you back and I have so much to talk to you about but we have a couple minutes left in this segment so let's let's fast forward a lot obviously sure um you're just a different person now Yeah how did that happen what what did God do uh
1: simplest way I can say what he did is uh he he made me feel loved
2: Hmm.
1: like I belonged to something you know and uh that that was enough um it doesn't sound like it but the way God uses people to surround you and all those things like he made me feel like I had a family
0: Hmm. you know so he impressed he he went right to your felt need all this time and uh was that taking in your mind the form of your relationship with him as your father or the believers that surround you and that kind of thing or kind of all of the above yep yeah (laughs) all of it yeah Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. it's um i mean i think we come in from a christian culture all glory to god give credit to god blah 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 god 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 but i think we eliminate the human factor of how god uses people and it's not that often you find people that are like, all right, I'll do this because you, you, the type of person I was, I wasn't lovable. Mm-hmm. I was antagonistic. Mm-hmm. I didn't like Christians. I thought they were a bunch of hypocrites, you know, mm-hmm. um, I would cuss them out. I would do anything to antagonize them. And I was just a family there, good old rampy family. They just sat there and smiled and took everything and just somehow, no matter how much I antagonized them, they just kept loving me. You know, they just loved mm-hmm. me into submission. Mm-hmm. No matter how much I pushed them away.
0: <laughs> but you know, it's um, God. That's what God does with with all of us. He knows us so well. He knows exactly um, what what drives us. What where where those holes in our heart are. And many times, He uses people and uses situations to give us that opportunity to have them feel the right way. Mm. And so many times our lives are, are scarred when we, when we chase them the wrong way. But you know, the the great thing about what God has done in your life is you can sit here and you can tell this story and you've got a family now of your own. Mm. And uh, it's pretty amazing to just to see the transformation that God has done in you. Yes. So I'm looking forward next time when you come, we're going to talk a lot more and, and, uh, it's a fascinating story, and I appreciate you dropping by.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. Hey,
0: tell me quickly about Engage Your Destiny. Uh,
1: we're a military ministry. We started out as just trying to reach soldiers and bring them to Christ and keep them in community. And uh, it, due to COVID, we have pivoted, and now we're about to host the largest Vietnam veteran gathering in the history of American Daytona International Speedway.
0: Wow, it's pretty cool. How can I find out more about that?
1: Uh, HeroesHonorFestival.com Or if you want to know more about our ministry Just go to EngageYourDestiny.com
0: That's awesome. Armin Asadi, thanks for dropping by Thanks for it's having me great you. to have you here And you know what, um, all the things he talked about You can have too, simply through a relationship With Jesus Christ In James 1-2 the Bible says Count it all joy my brothers When you meet trials of various kinds So if you're going through, some, through something right now It's not the end. Um, It could just be the beginning for you, and God could be calling you to himself, and that's exciting. I want to thank our great partners here that make this possible, MyFaithRadio.com. You can see a video portion of this podcast at FiveStoneMedia.com, and you can check us out here at Ridgewood Church as well at MyRWC.org. Thanks for being here, and we'll catch you next time on Life Support.
2: Life Support is a co-production of Five Stone Media and Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota.
0: Thanks for listening to this Life Support podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Life Support, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of life support.